1: After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 1, Episode 19, The Gauntlet. I don't like it, K.J. said. Of course you don't, the old man said in return. Besides the obvious answer that the world's gone to hell, why not? There's too much smoke. Why would there be so much smoke this many weeks in? Who's burning stuff and why are they doing it? Maybe it's a barbecue, the old man joked. You know, short ribs, beer. It does smell like cooking meat. Maybe they'll barbecue your scrawny ass, old man, she countered. It smells like plastic or tires or something. Bill sniffed at the air and didn't seem pleased with what he smelled, but for now he could only pace and offer up an occasional worried whine. "'I don't know,' the old man thought aloud. "'We need supplies, and let's face it, a lot of stuff burns in the apocalypse at just a normal day,' he continued. "'A city this size in Tennessee is going to have maybe thirty to forty thousand souls in pre-pandemic times.' Now there are probably less than a thousand, max. That's if any of them hung around. A couple of crazies. Firebugs, maybe. I don't see much of a threat. She eyed him and said, It's your funeral, old man. Great, he said. We'll just sneak in and take a look around. With just the three of us, we can disappear back into the bushes if there's trouble. How's the foot? He asked as an afterthought. Serviceable, she answered. "'Thanks for asking.' Her toe was still looking ugly, but the swelling and pain was down. She could rock and even run some on it. It was a good thing, too, because they had been forced to abandon the cart. The old man's lack of engineering skills became evident when the thing had fallen apart after a week of hard use. They were perched on a bluff overlooking a small city to the south. Through a mix of smoke and the rising morning mist over the river, They could see the layout of the town. Older, two-story buildings of Main Street bled out into car dealerships and strip malls that sprawled along the generic two-lane road as it headed west toward the river. Past this commercial center, on the outskirts of town, the smoke seemed to thicken around what looked to be a ballpark or small stadium of some sort, tucked up against railroad tracks that paralleled the river. Another cookie-cutter small city, In the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, another metropolis laid low by the virus as it swept through the heartland. Most of these cities were abandoned now. They were charnel houses occupied by ghosts. There would be dead down there. In front of the courthouse or the clinic or in the parking lot of the Piggly Wiggly, they would likely find stacks of the dead as the virus overwhelmed and they tried to respond or escape with nowhere to go. There might be a few shell shock survivors hiding in the remains, living their bleak existence. The good citizens of whatever this place was called had been called, their meat left to rot, and their bones thrown on the pile of bones that was civilization's inheritance. The dirt road wound down the hill of the edge of town. Bill ran ahead as K.J. and the old man jogged slowly and cautiously, kicking up gravel and dust along the shoulder of the steep descent. As the road leveled out, they found themselves threading their way through well-established and shaded suburbs. Cement sidewalks that humped up were the roots of old maple trees that applied decades of pressure, low-slung and tidy ranch houses with a canopy of trees for shade. As they jogged through the bedroom community, it could have been any quiet Sunday morning. But this wasn't the peace of the day of rest. This was the silence of death. It's pretty, but creepy, the old man spoke in a low voice. Should we look around in some of the houses? K.J. looked suspiciously at the houses. Let's keep moving and see if we can find a store or something. I don't want to tangle with a scared homeowner with a gun. The risk isn't worth the reward. They began to see more familiar signs of the apocalypse as they continued into the city, downtown. If you could call it a city, it was more like a large town. There was a general sense of untidiness, life interrupted. Some crashed and abandoned cars, occasional broken windows, small evidences of vandalism and looting, and of course, the dead. The old man and K.J. held a hand to their faces and passed on the far side of the medical center of sorts, where the peak of this town's tragic story likely played out. The last hopes of townsfolk evident here as the entrance was littered with bodies. Other signs of the town's last days were more subtle. One man's body, just outside the open front door of a well-manicured home, lay prostrate on the lawn. In a dark green bed of irony, as he slowly fed the grass he had so lovingly tended, the old man pulled a bandana across his face. They checked some stores for supplies as they progressed, but the pickings were slim. They weren't the first, or probably even the second or third group of survivors to pass through. Most of the food and water was gone. They grabbed what food they could and were able to get a change of clothes and some other handy items. As they left the town center, heading towards the river, there was more smoke in the air. They were getting closer to the source. It smelled acrid. This wasn't campfire smoke. It smelled more like burning garbage. Do you want to avoid this? the old man asked. We're here now. We might as well see what's going on. K.J. replied grimly. That's where the smoke is coming from, she pointed with her chin to the ballpark. They skirted a chain-link fence and cautiously entered the large parking lot of the ballpark they had seen from above. The sign said, Taylor Park, home of the Eustace City Woodpeckers. The old man chuckled and repeated, Woodpeckers, that's a great name. I bet they struck terror into the opposing teams. Shut up, K.J. hissed. There's something not right here. Look at all the trash and damage. Something happened here, and it wasn't a baseball game. Looks recent. Maybe they use this place as an emergency medical evacuation site or shelter early on, the old man said, but stopped talking when he got one of her patented evil eye looks. The main gate of the park had been set in a red brick facade, but now it was torn out, like some malevolent giant had reached down and yanked it free. The grass and brickwork around the gate were shredded as well. There were deep tire tracks and muddy damage. There was a backhoe off to the side with the remains of the crumpled gate. Curiouser and curiouser, the old man whispered and got another shut the F up look from K.J. He retrieved his crossbow from his pack, cocked it and nodded. K.J. picked up a piece of steel rebar from the remains of the gate. It was mostly straight about a foot long and with a nasty, jagged point at the end where it had been wrenched from the foundation. She picked up a bit of torn tarp from the trash and wrapped this around one side to create a grip. They made their way towards the gaping maw where the gate had been. They could see the lush green of the playing field at the end of the dark tunnel, like a porthole looking into another world from the darkness. Bill paused and sniffed. He looked down the tunnel and then back at them with his here-we-go-again look that he got when clearing buildings. Then Bill led the way as they slowly edged along the cold concrete walls into the gloom. From the darkness, the sun-drenched field had a bright, welcoming green glow. If it wasn't for the smoke, you might think it was a good day for a ball game. The old man's sandals crunched on broken glass, and he worried about the dog, but Bill knew what he was doing perhaps better than K.J. and the old man. Ahead, the sun poured warm through the opening to the field, and he felt like running to the light and out of this claustrophobic passage. But K.J. was right. They needed to go slow. Something had happened here. It felt wrong. All three paused at the edge of the opening and let their eyes adjust to the sun. What came into view was surreal. The bright green of the once immaculate infield was littered with trash. There were cars and trucks strewn about, some still smoldering. There were pieces of furniture, couches and mattresses, dirty with trash, and arranged around the scar of what must have been a huge bonfire. K.J. suppressed a shiver as she thought back to childhood afternoons with her father at a ballpark not unlike this one. "'Popcorn, hot dogs, and pop "'as they cheered on the local voice of summer. "'The contrast here with her happy memories "'was dramatic, almost evil. "'This scene in front of her was more than vandalism. "'It was sacrilege. "'It was the despoiling of hallowed tradition. "'Bill whined low and long, "'a sad keening as he appraised the scene.' It was a sound of mourning. Oh, my God! K.J. gasped. The old man stopped and went to one knee. There were bodies. But these weren't the unlucky and hapless dead that the virus left in its wake. These were desecrations. These were bodies tied to stakes that had been driven into the base paths. These were bodies hung from and twisted into the backstop fence, like something out of a horror movie. At least a dozen bodies in all that had been killed here, murdered, or sacrificed. What the hell is this? The old man asked through clenched teeth. He had seen death before. He had seen executions and man's casual disregard for human life. And it was never easy. But here before them was a new level of evil. The tribe of three cautiously picked their way through the broken and empty bottles and trash, trying to piece together the scene. The fire's still smoking, the old man said. Whoever did this hasn't been gone more than a day. Keep your head up. What a mess, Janet added. How many do you think were here? I don't know. To do that much damage, I'd guess at least fifty. Maybe a hundred, maybe more, the old man said. I do know that we don't want to meet them. Amongst the trash and bottles was baseball equipment, gloves, bats, balls, spread around the field. They approached the area of home plate where a particular victim had been staked. It might have been a man, what was left of a man. It was obvious that he had been used as a target for batting practice, The body was limp, bruised, and battered. The old man resisted an urge to reach down and feel for a pulse, who would be pointless. He's gone, he said, looking up at K.J. Probably better for him, she said flatly. The old man leaned in to look more closely. Looks like they finished them with a bullet when they were done with whatever sick game this was. The old man continued looking around the tableau of chaos and horror that the ballpark had become. KJ repressed an urge to gag. What a shit show! Why? Why do this? When civilization is gone, humans revert to gangs and tribes. The old man started before realizing that KJ had not wanted an answer. As he scanned the scene, the old man thought back to the mythology of the mortal games of the ancient Aztecs, stadiums where the vanquished did not walk away from the contest. He knew that the Roman Colosseum was a place of torture and death. What is it about humans, Homo sapiens, that motivate such brutal entertainment, tribalism, the age-old delineation of the world into one of us and the others?' The others were always dehumanized to justify inhuman acts. Centuries of border wars and religious conflict could be summarized as, You are one of us, or you are not worth living. How many steps was it from sports rivalry and hooliganism to the Romans purging Carthage? Here before them was the awful proof that there was no distance at all between civilization and genocide. They were startled by a noise from somewhere around second base. One of the bodies that had been stretched out on the hood of a truck rolled off into the grass with a groan and a thump. Bill! Guard! The old man motioned to the body that was now on its hands and knees retching loudly into the grass. Bill responded, quickly advancing to guard over the intruder. He growled a low warning at the man, who had now rolled into a slump with his back against the wheel of the truck eyes closed, shoulders heaving. K.J. and the old man looked at each other, simultaneously acknowledging Bill's dislike and advance with caution. They were standing over the man, looking down at him. He was greasy and pale, dirty hair stuck out from under a baseball cap worn backward. He wore a dirty vest over a work shirt and filthy jeans with work boots. Hey, K.J. said sharply. You okay, mister? The old man followed. The man groaned as he squinted open his bloodshot eyes. Where is everybody? Who's everybody, mister? What happened here? the old man asked. A look of comprehension seemed to cross the man's face and mixed into suspicion. What? Who are you? his tone changed from confused to guarded. I asked first, the old man countered and gestured to Bill, who was acting like he really didn't like this guy. The man sat up straighter against the truck. Bill growled aggressively and looked at the old man as if asking, uh, no, pleading for permission to tear this man apart. "'I don't think Bill here likes you, mister,' the old man continued. "'And as long as I've known him, he's been a pretty good judge of a character.' He paused and took a deep breath and repeated slowly, "'What happened here?' "'I think I must have gotten some bad hooch.' the man said shaking his head a bit although it was obvious that pained him can't trust anything anymore get up k.j said the man stood with shaky effort and leaned against the hood of the truck i don't want no trouble just give me a couple of minutes to get right and and i'll move on who did this k.j asked directly The man looked at his shoes and stammered, "'I don't know. I wasn't here. I I just came after looking for supplies and must have drank something bad.' "'That's bullshit,' K.J. said. The old man raised an eyebrow at her. "'You were lying.' "'What happened here? Who did this?' she asked again, lifting the length of rebar and pointing it at his Adam's apple. The man spread his hands in submission and answered, "'Okay, okay!' It was the king. The old man repeated that as an involuntary surprise question. The king? Yeah, he calls himself the king. He's got a group of hard cases with him that he calls the Volunteer Army of Lost Souls or some shit. The old man stood with his mouth open, trying to wrap his head around this information. What happened here? K.J. stared at the man with a look that was cold, hard, and unflinching. ''We... I mean, they... uh, they had a party.'' K.J. gestured at the state bodies. ''What happened here?'' The man smiled weakly. ''Some of the locals didn't see eye to eye with the king.'' ''Jesus!'' the old man sighed. ''More like the devil,'' K.J. replied. They looked at each other for a long moment. The silence was broken by the man. ''Hey, I gotta piss. Do you mind?'' ''Go ahead.'' K.J. said, not moving. The man shrugged his rumpled shoulders and turned away from them to urinate towards the back of the truck. K.J. and the old man conferred in low voices. This is some bad work here, he said. These are bad people, K.J. agreed. This is some medieval crap, he added. While they were conferencing, the dirty man lurched to his knees, one hand braced against the truck's side and began heaving again. "'The wages of sin,' the old man said to K.J. and moved forward to help the man up. "'Let's go, partner.' The old man reached to grab the dirty man's shoulder, but the man turned quickly and spun to grab the old man in a chokehold from behind, brandishing a hunting knife towards K.J. K.J. tensed, surprised. Bill growled, ears back, hackles raised. "'Get out of my way and no one gets hurt,' he snarled. "'I'm going to get out of here and catch up with the king.' He was sliding along the length of the truck in the direction of the gate, moving the old man along with him as a shield. Bill held his ground, teeth bared, growling. "'Call up that dog or I'll kill you!' the man threatened, waving his knife. "'I don't think so.' The old man felt his anger rising and came to a decision. "'Bill, Foss!' The old man dropped his weight and tried to swing an elbow into the dirty man's ribcage. Before anyone even sensed movement, the big dog was airborne. The dog moved so fast, the man had no chance to use the blade. Bill clamped his big jaws down on the man's wrist and started viciously jerking back and forth. The dog's muscles twitched in the effort, standing out like taut ropes along his back and neck. The man screamed and struggled. He viciously grabbed hold of the old man's hair. "'Get it off me!' K.J. moved almost as quickly as Bill had. She slipped in with cold, deliberate, and deadly ease, like a ballet dancer or a fencing instructor. With a violent lunge, she drove the improvised rebar weapon deep into the man's neck. He dropped the knife and released his grip from the old man, who wriggled free with a shove. The dirty man fell to his side in the grass, clutching at his neck, blood gurgling from his mouth. He clawed frantically at the rebar, his eyes wide with desperation and fear as he stared at K.J. You can keep that, K.J. said with an emotionless finality. The old man recovered his composure and told Bill to stand down. He then leaned over to examine the struggling man. Looks like you caught one of the carotid arteries, the old man said in his professional doctor voice and turned to look at K.J., I don't think there's any hope to save him. That's probably for the best, she replied. I think saving him would be doing the world a disservice. The man's struggles were over in a couple of minutes as he bled out into the grass next to the truck, the deep red blood turning black in the brilliant green grass of the infield. What do we do now? The old man asked. He was a little bit surprised at how little emotion KJ seemed to be showing. His mind drifted, and he thought again about dehumanization, and he thought again of the looming specter of the great pile of bones, and he wondered again about his own sanity and what he was still doing in this world, until K.J.'s response broke his trance. I think we get out of here, collect what we need, and get back into cover, she answered as she turned and made her way towards the tunnel. Who knows when the king and his army of assholes might turn up again? No argument here, the old man agreed as he followed, shaking his head and taking one last distasteful look around the ballpark.
2: Special welcome to my daughter, who started listening and pitched in with some typo hunting for this episode. Thanks for the great Father's Day card there. My friend, I am stunned and amazed that here we are, episode 19. Who knew we'd be able to pull it up? This chapter was fun to write. I think we get a clear understanding of who these characters are, right? We know who they are now and we know what they're thinking so i can just drop them into situations and let them let them act it out for themselves let them speak for themselves and we see our female protagonist janet aka kj the killer who we all love we see her slipping into that ambiguity that the end of the world forces on people and we see the old man teetering on the brink of reality and insanity And we see the world thrashing about in the worst types of reactions that befall humans in these sort of situations. And the question is, which way will they all slide? What will they choose? Do they even have a choice? And we introduce that there is a big bad, a big bad roaming around... In our world, as the world starts to coalesce around survivors, these sorts of things happen. The big bad, you know, it's more of an antagonist to create narrative tension. The big bad is an alternate blueprint, right? That's an alternate blueprint of how the world should be. And he's that dark side of humanity that is always just outside, peering through that little window shaped like a porthole in the front door of civilization, waiting for us to make a mistake. And that's always the tension with humanity. Civilization is a chaos suppressant. Civilization sees chaos as evil. All our religions have a manifestation of chaos, from Loki to the devil to coyote there's always that tension between order and chaos, or, more pedantically, good and evil. And if you don't have that tension, then the story's just action without purpose, or horror without purpose, or comedy without purpose. And when the narrative fiction falls into that, that space, you lose interest in the fate of the characters, and all the action in the world can't keep it going. So you need stakes, Unless there's stakes, unless there's tension, there's no compelling narrative. And that's the fun part of creating a dystopian, apocalyptic universe. You get to decide how that tension of good versus evil plays out and is resolved. Anyhow, enough with the ontology. Speaking of Coyote, the mischief-making chaos god of Native Americans, here's my reading list tip for you this week. The Tony Hillerman books about Navajo police detective Joe Leaphorn. And I'm not a big mystery fan, but I started listening to these books, these Tony Hillerman books, on audio when I was commuting from my home outside of Boston up to an office in Quebec City, Canada. And it's a long drive. And I would get books on tape. Yes, folks, cassette tapes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the local library for the ride Hillerman was a Albuquerque New Mexico resident and he did a great job describing the culture of the southwest U.S. and in particular the Native American mythologies and the audio books if you can find them they are read by Native American voice actors, and the cadence, just the, the audio of that, the flow of that, that read, it's just amazing. So, there you go. Grab some Hillerman audiobooks for your summer vacation. You won't be disappointed. In two weeks, we will present our last chapter, chapter 20, in this first season, and then we'll take a pause to turn the first season into an ebook, a paperback, an audiobook. I've got a copy editor going to work through the scripts and turn them more into book. Just a little tweaking. And I've got a couple artists working on the cover art. I'm recruiting a book launch team and typo hunters. So come over to Facebook and join the After the Apocalypse group that can be found by searching for Old Man Apocalypse. All one word. So come on over and pitch in. I'm asking nicely. I could use the help. And I'm happy with how this season and the overall format came out, right? We're up over 11,000 downloads now. And that's not bad for six months as an indie podcast. And I think the format lends itself to binge listening. The short, consumable episode length and the consistency allow people to just queue them up and march through them. And that's another irony of podcasting, right? Is that what takes me six months to produce? Takes you a couple days to consume, but that's okay. I, you know, I can keep this fortnightly cadence up and still produce a decent quality product. But unfortunately for you, I have a full time job and other things to attend to, or I would be cranking out, you know, a season a month. The next season, we're going to add more compelling characters to our universe, and we're going to add situations and institutions and threats that test our survival skills, you and I. So stick with us after the, after the break. I hope all of you in my uh, hemisphere are enjoying your summers, and those of you in antipodal hemispheres are enjoying your winters. As always, I could use your support on our Patreon page to keep paying the bills. And I can use your participation in the Facebook group, Old Man Apocalypse. And of course, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes, whatever your country is. And keep telling your friends. And together, my friends, we will keep surviving.